Lord, we come to you today confessing that we are sinful people and make many mistakes in the ways we handle money. We ask for you to open our minds and hearts and teach us to be better stewards of what you have given us. Forgive us when we fail to follow the guidelines that you give us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, chapter 3 of the book, uh, Redeeming Money, uh, it was long enough that I felt like we should divide it into two weeks. And last week, we took the first four takeouts from reading Genesis 3, 1 through 7, which we're not going to read again today. Uh, And this week, we will take the last four takeouts, uh, 5 through 8 of that same chapter. Uh, The first, uh, in, in, in order to review what we went through last week, I'm going to go back through the first four uh, takeouts very quickly. Uh, They listened, number one is they listened to an alternative voice. But there is a voice to which we are tempted to give precedence over the voice of the Lord. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more consistently than you do. You are in an unending conversation with yourself and the things you say to you are formative of the desires, choices, decisions, and actions you take. Your inner conversation really does shape and influence everything in your life. This influence is powerfully seen in how you view and use the money that God has placed in your care. The second uh, takeout was they wanted what was prohibited. Why did Eve ever entertain a conversation about something that God had clearly prohibited? Eve's conversation with the servant was not about a morally gray area. God had marked his directions to Adam and Eve with one prohibition. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." Takeout number three is, was the, they thought they knew better. <clears throat> Every sin dethrones divine wisdom and enthrones human wisdom. So it is with money. Every misuse of money begins with elevating human wisdom over the wisdom of God. Every bit of money trouble begins with assuming that something God says is bad isn't so bad after all. Every instance of paralyzing debt begins with denying human foolishness and minimizing the protective value of the wisdom of God. There is nothing more dangerous to our financial well-being than thinking for an instant that we are smarter than God. Takeout number four was they minimized God's present provision. If you are persuaded that no one knows better what you need than the Lord and that he has been faithful in meeting these needs, then you don't look toward the world with a needy and craving heart. You simply cannot separate debt and ingratitude. Debt would be much easier to solve if it were just a matter of too little money. It is made much more difficult because it almost always involves the craving of our unthankful hearts. Uh, 
the first time I read that this this chapter, I was just blown away by the wisdom that I, that I found in it, and that's why I'm up here today is because it was something I really wanted to, sh- to share with you. And uh, I've kind of start, started taking a verse of the day, not necessarily from the book, but something that fits right in with what we're doing. And today's verse is uh, Matthew's six nineteen through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Okay, now we start today's lesson. I have to take out number five. And who's got the the mic? Somebody else? Okay. Uh, Would you start reading it? Uh, They allowed themselves to doubt God. Sure. Am I doing just one paragraph? Paragraph by paragraph, as far as you want to go. The whole strategy of the serpent's temptation balanced on one thing, getting Eve to doubt the goodness of God. He was essentially saying, your God isn't so good after all. He's insecure, he's selfish and jealous. He's withholding something wonderful from you because he's afraid you will become like him and know what he knows. And if you know what he knows, you will no longer need to depend on him. You see, if you and I allow ourselves to doubt the goodness of God, We will then take our lives into our own hands. You don't put your life into the hands of someone you do not trust. This has such powerful application to the way we view and use our money proper use of the resources God has given us always begins with a settled belief that what he commanded us is wise, right, and for our good, and that what he has provided is loving, sufficient, and good. When we begin to doubt God's goodness in the area of our money, we will quit following his commands. We will do what we think is best, and in doing so, we will set ourselves up for all kinds of money trouble. Could it be that although your theology says that God is good, the way you use your money reveals deep heart questions about his goodness and the kindness of his provisions? In counseling people with money problems, I was unprepared for how much doubt of and anger toward God I uncovered. I counseled people who had quit believing that God makes good on every one of his promises. I met people who had come to believe that God plays favorites. I met people who no longer believe that God hears and answers their prayers. I talked with people who were no longer sure that God's commands are for their good. And I've I've counseled many people in whose heart praise had long since been replaced by complaint. Wow. Uh, Do you have difficulty in believing God? And have you allowed yourself to doubt him? That's a question for you to respond to. Paul, I would say for for me, I love the wording of this because I think I don't doubt. And then you review how you got the purchase you got or why you got it and the motive behind it. And you realize you did doubt. 
Uh, you know, it's uh, different things, different times. Um, I, I don't think we consciously go in doubting. I think it's something we realize afterwards with the help of a, a brother or sister in Christ or, or what have you. Maybe a nudge, a nudge from a spouse. <laughs> I think one way that I recognize is that, uh, that there's an issue there is that I think, no, I don't doubt. I'm perfectly content. Everything's fine until I see something better that somebody else has. And then I doubt, just be, not because anything changed about my circumstance, but because I see what somebody else has, and I think, well, I don't have that. They have that. Then you can have doubt. Guilty as charged, brother. <laughs> and it, it really, what is the root of the doubt? You know, it's uh, in my, a lot of times, it's just my disobedience to the Ten Commandments. You know, either I'm uh, uh, um, coveting something that my neighbor has and I think I deserve it better than them, you know, or it's, um, it's just my sin, you know, and, and, my, and certainly my depravity that brought me, brought me to that place where I, I doubt God is on my side, and that's sad. Yeah, just a quick thought. Um, when Pete said that, I, I realized that I, whenever I get into the situation where I begin comparing myself with others, I have to remember that I'm, I'm really ultimately thinking that um, God is withholding something from me. And that, and that really resonated as we were reading through the paragraphs here that, um, you know, I really need to ask myself the question, is, does God really withhold anything from me? And if I if I if I'm honest, that's that's the root of the issue. Uh, for me, uh, I've experienced doubt kind of indirectly because a lot of times I doubt if I really need to spend as much time in God's Word uh, during my day or week, and then I find when I decide, well, I, I can do something else besides that. Then th- that's when I find I face temptations. Uh, with money or other things and decide to go by what I think is right versus what God's word would say about that. Okay, let's move on to uh, take out number six. They decided to step over God's boundaries. All our lives are shaped and directed by moral choices. In fact, the character of every day is set by a series of moral choices. Most of these go on unnoticed because they go on in a mundane, in the mundane. Our lives aren't shaped by three or four uh, big moments, but they are thought by thousands of little moments. It is a direction set by the little everyday choices that determines how we respond and what we do in the grand, significant moments of our lives. In the countless little moments of every day, we make inescapable moral decisions. No matter the subject, the decision is always about the same thing. Will I choose to stay inside God's boundaries and do what he says is right, or will I step over God's boundaries and do what will get me what I want? If a Christian husband is yelling at his wife, saying things to her he should not say, he's not yelling because he's ignorant of the fact that it's wrong. He's doing it because at that point, he doesn't care what God says is wrong. 
There's something he wants, and he will do whatever it takes to get it. On the same way, Adam and Eve didn't eat the forbidden fruit because they were ignorant of the fact that it was forbidden. They knew where God had placed his boundaries, and they willingly stepped over them to get what they wanted. Your use of money will be shaped by momentary moral choices. Will you stay inside God's wise and loving boundaries and use your money in the way he says is best or step over his boundaries to get whatever it is you want? Yes, some of our money problems are rooted in in ignorance. We haven't taken time to learn all that God has to say about this important part of our lives. But But could it be that many of our money troubles are the result of ignorance, but not a result of ignorance, but of rebellion? Could it be that we get ourselves into money trouble because we want our way more than we want his glory? Could it be that real and lasting change in our financial lives will come not as a result of more information, but as the heart of the result of heartfelt personal self-examination and confession? And that leads to the question, in what ways have you decided to step over God's boundaries? Nick? doing too much pondering of myself (laughs) Um, yeah I think um, the uh, example I think of the most is actually both Jacob and Esau I at times I feel like I find myself being Esau I'm willing to sell my birthright for a bowl of soup and um, just you know you a short-term gratification something you know in the moment is just absolute short-term gratification it's something that is you are prioritizing over the other things that God has made clear you should be spending your money or your time and energy towards. Um, and then on the other hand, I found myself being Jacob scheming on how I can have the long-term gain and do everything I can to position myself to have the long-term benefit at the moral risk of the short term. Um, in this case, you know, with Jacob deceiving his father. And, um, and so I've even in relation to money, even though it might not be spending money, a lot of times it's actually even time. Like, I'll take a second job, I'll pursue this, I'll, you know, what are my motivations for grad school? Things like that that are just, well, how many dollars can I get on my um, return for longevity over time and not motivated at, okay, what is the right balance for my family um, so that I can lead my family in a faithful way? In what ways have you decided to step over God's boundaries? I don't know if this really answers the question, but something that is running through my head is the word submission for me. And this has kind of been my theme, is to submit to God's will. And so I'm a very security conscious person, as my husband well knows. And so when the air conditioner breaks or when the car breaks down or I go into panic mode, like, oh, why, how are we going to do this, you know, and, and get into panic mode rather than really relying on God. And I mean, we have several examples throughout our life of how God has amazingly provided, um, you know, in that crisis of whatever the crisis was or the wondering what was going to happen. But it doesn't mean that the next time I won't go into panic mode again, you know, and submit to God. But 
throughout life. I'm getting a little better, <laughs> little by little, and uh, we'll see what crisis happens today that has to be overcome and has to, you know, be submitted to. But anyway, that's just something that keeps on running through my head. I'll bet if uh, we were honest with ourselves, a lot of us ha- have the same story and uh, deal with that same th- sort of thing. I know in our family we've, we've been through that, and uh, I'm sure that... We're not the only two couples that have. Okay, let's move on to uh, number seven. They denied clear potential consequences. The warning of God was clear. You shall surely die. These were words of love by a God of love to people he loved. An announcement of judgment is always an act of grace. If judgment is the overarching goal, there is no need for a warning. Warnings alert people to danger so that they will turn and go in another direction. If you ignore the warning and do exactly what you have been warned not to do, you do it because you have been able to convince yourselves that that you can do it without facing the predicted consequences. One of the scariest aspects of the deceitfulness of sin is how it enables sinners to deny the consequences of their sin. We are all able to swindle ourselves into thinking that we will not suffer the ill effects of the wrong things we do. A person committing adultery convinces himself that he can get away with it and that his marriage will be okay. We tell ourselves that we can eat more than our bodies require and not face the negative effects on our health. And we think that we can love material things and spend ourselves into debt and it will be okay. There is no greater danger to your handling of money than your ability to deny the consequences of your love for and misuse of it. Money problems do not begin with a bad budget, frivolous spending, or poor investments. Money problems begin with a lifestyle of denial. To the degree that you are able to convince yourself that God's warnings concerning money will not fall on you, you are setting yourself up to use money in ways that God never intended. Remember, Adam and Eve were able to step over God's boundaries because they were able to convince themselves that they would not face consequences for doing so. Likewise, money problems and denial are inextricably connected. Well, once again, I say well because it's to me that you know the the story is very par- powerful. Uh, the question here is how how have you ignored or denied potential consequences? We're getting into the questions that dig down deep in our hearts today. You know, I'm not sure if I deny the consequences. I think I play a, a, a game of Russian roulette with it. You know, I I do stuff and I just uh, uh, bear the consequences if God is going to judge me, and he will eventually. It's just a matter of when, not if. And so, but at that time that I'm... Uh, uh, doing the act or doing the, the disobedience, I don't really think about the consequences. I don't think about the judgment or the punishment. I just do it because I want to do it. I think one way we can deny the consequences is just saying it's not that big of a deal. And we justify it, but it's not a big deal. It's just a pizza on my credit card, or it's just uh, whatever, right? And if it's not that big of a deal, then why is it a big deal, right? And I think we do that. When we do that, we're denying the consequence, I think. 
And I bought pizza last night on credit card. So <laughs> I'm speaking from personal experience. It's all over your case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to number eight. Uh, they shifted the blame to someone else. Ooh, how often we do that. Whether you and I are able, sorry, whenever you and I are able to convince ourselves that we do things we do not because of what is inside of us, but because of things outside of us, we don't humbly confess our needs and run to the grace of God, which is our only help. But like Adam and Eve, blaming what's outside is often our first response. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and neither one accepted responsibility for their rebellion. When it comes to money, we are tempted to do the same thing. It is scarily natural for us to blame the economy, the size of our paycheck, the advice of another, the high cost of living, or something near to us for the financial trouble in our lives. It is often sadly easy to convince ourselves that our money trouble is not the result of the thoughts and desires of our own heart. And when we do this, we not only don't get the help we need at the place where we need it, where it is most needed, but we set ourselves up for further financial difficulty. When we shift blame, we not only deny our need for help, but we also leave our hearts unchanged and our habits unaltered. Could it be that you could it be that you have financial woes in your lives that never get fixed because you have become all too skilled at shifting the blame? Genesis 3 in the Bible is not only as a history of how the disaster of sin entered the world, but a warning to us. The fall of Adam and Eve into the sins stands as a case study into how we all fall. And because it does, it also has a case study of how we get ourselves into money problems. But, leave, but to leave our discussion there would be depressing. This passage portrays for us one of the darkest moments in human history, followed by one of the most tragic consequences that are also infused with bright and glorious hope. God was unwilling to leave his world intrude in darkness of sin and death and walk away. He had the right, righteous right to do so, but our Lord isn't just perfectly righteous. He is gloriously gracious as well. So he, so as he sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, he predicts how this thing will be fixed. Speaking to the serpent, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and he, you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. And with these words, God promised help for every aspect of money temptation, every instance of money foolishness, every moment of money denial, and every circumstance of money love. You may be thinking, Paul, you got all that out of those words. Here's why those words carry all our money sanity hopes. If the deepest of our money struggles live inside us and not outside us, then we are simply not able to help ourselves. A new commitment to change spending habits won't help us. A stricter budget won't help us. Reading another money book won't help us. 
All these things are beneficial, but unless the core problem is addressed, our money problems will not be solved, and the core problem is us. So in that dark moment in the garden, God promises that out of the woman will come a son who will crush the serpent's head. And in these shadowy words, God is telling us that Mary will give birth in Bethlehem to a son, but not just any son. Her son will be the Messiah. And in his life, death, and resurrection, he will once and for all defeat the power of sin within us and the power of the devil outside us. At the judgment of Adam and Eve, God promises that his son will come and bear our judgment, purchase our forgiveness, and restore our relationship to the one who made us. And in that restored relationship with God, we will find everything we need to live in every area of our lives, including our money, in the way that God intended. In the coming of the seed of Mary is the promise of rescue, forgiveness, empowerment, personal transformation, and ultimately our final deliverance from temptation and sin. This means that the remedy for all the causes all that causes trouble in our lives including money trouble is found in the person presence and grace of Jesus if you are God's child you are never alone in your money struggle because the seed of the woman Jesus is in you and for you and with you he battles on your behalf even in the moments even those moments when you are too confused tired and or discouraged to battle he battles for you in those moments when you are running the other way, and he will battle for you until there's no need to battle anymore. The way to connect to his grace is by running to him and admitting that there is evidence in your money life of how much you need it. Your Savior lived in the world you live in and faced the temptations you face, so he won't be shocked by your struggle. He won't mock your weakness. And he won't turn his back on you when you cry out for his help. Fight the deceit of denial and the self-righteousness of blame shifting and come to him in humble honesty and watch what he will do. So how do you blame others for the decisions you make? How do you take responsibility for those decisions? I, uh, how do I blame others? I look at the Amazon account for my wife or whatnot, and I try to avoid looking at my own purchase history. Um, and then when I actually fess up and realize I'm the spender of the two of us, um, you know, you, you're just confronted with a, a track record and a log of of your own things. And I think um, when when I find myself most confronted and realize that there's a need for self-awareness of spending, it's usually when it's too late, when the panic starts to set in because of the budget and you're doing the math for the next month of payments. And, um, uh, and it sets off the cycle again of, of, wait a minute, am I thinking and doing the right things? But um, certainly, the, unfortunately, the quickest person to reach out to in terms of blaming others is my wife and then the reality is it's, it's usually myself and my own heart leading the household that's, that's failed.
do we witness others uh, make, uh, that are uh, blaming whatever they've done on other people? I think we see that on a daily basis on the TV. Yeah, I can, I can see it manifest in my relationship with my wife where, you know, we're arguing. And if you look at uh, who initiated the, the argument, um, it's, it's, it's a means of saying, oh, look over here. Nothing's going on over here. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about this other issue. And it's, it's really blame denial and a, yeah. a kind of a blame shifting to a, a different topic. After uh, 40 plus years of marriage, I, I think Glenn and I are beyond uh, blaming each other. We just stand accountable to each other for what we have purchased or what we do. So we don't hide that stuff. It's, it's all available for each of us to see. And uh, the, the only question a lot of times is why, and the answer is because I wanted to. So that's not a good answer, but it's, that's the answer. It's an honest answer because I wanted it. Well, throughout the last four weeks, I've tried very hard to not make this the Paul Kavner show and not to tell you all of my mistakes. I've already told you some of them, but uh, I've certainly made my mistakes in the ways that, that the things that we've talked about here today. And uh, I really appreciate uh, you all to, uh, for participating and for contributing because every Sunday I learn something in this discussion area from you. And I think what you have to say here today is important. And that's why I stand here and pause through some terrible silences until someone shares with us. But I value something that the things that you say, every one of you. And we can continue because we got plenty of time today. Well, I just wanted to say this has been a good, um, good study, and it's, a, it's hard. It's something we all have to um, work at is staying within the boundaries that God has set. And when we don't, there are consequences, and I, I can tell from uh, experience of being a treasurer for 40-some years, um, I can see people in the church who honor God with their money, with their tithes and offerings, you know, and are faithful, and I can see people who are not, and I can see the difference in the lives of those peoples, the financial lives of those peoples. Uh, often it's very obvious. I mean, the Lord um, blesses those who are faithful with their money and handle it the way that he has prescribed in his word, and those who are not so faithful, um, there are often consequences. There are often expenses that are just seem to be unending and things like that and one other thing um it talks about um denying god but also there's an aspect of presuming on god when we when we go into debt we're assuming that everything's going to stay the same our income is going to be the same or, or increase and you know in god's providence that may not may not be the case so yeah Man, I don't know. Well, I should have gone first. <laughs> Jeez. Um, uh, well, I was thinking about, too, uh, a different part of what Gary was saying in our relationship, Lori and I. I think one way that 
money manipulation can and I can vouch has taken place is that I know for both of us our default is to say yes to the other person so even though we discuss things if it's brought up so if you if if I'm bringing up a significant purchase to discuss to, as a matter of discussion I already know that she wants to say yes to me personally you know whether she thinks the purchase is is a wise decision or not or not now it doesn't mean she'll just roll over and not say anything at all but I also know going into the conversation that her default is to want to say yes and so there are little nuances, <coughs> little nuances there where if you're being honest if I'm being honest I guess I should say I know okay I judgment needs to be shown should I even bring this up as a conversation am I putting the onus on my wife on my spouse <coughs> to tell me no which could be sinful right from the outset of even bringing it up as a topic of, topic of conversation because I know she loves me and she just wants to say yes this is my final thought okay uh, certainly as we go have gone through this at one time or another we have all experienced a part of these takeaways and, but let's not forget the amazing redemptive grace of Jesus Christ who despite our flaws okay he is there for our for to forgive us and we just need to reach out and do that and so there's there's a some real good stuff in here but the best stuff is that redemption grace of Jesus Christ sometimes you just shift the blame on the others and you don't even realize it and then you look back at it and you do realize that you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have blamed the person on that. Maybe I shouldn't have bought that. I'm pretty sure we've all had moments like that. <laughs> uh, whether it's like ordering a little bit of extra food or ordering pizzas on a credit card. <laughs> uh, or just uh, blaming someone else for not having the money or, being a or just not having enough money to buy something because you already spent it and blaming something else. And what's awesome is that God and Jesus Christ will still forgive you even if you do mess up. I know that I've done that. I know that I'm Dennis. I mean, the Godfather has done it. <laughs> so just let's keep praying and be thankful that he will forgive us of all our trespasses. Uh, when our brother Mark was talking, it, it uh, immediately sparked... Um, an area that I think I maybe wasn't as privy to until just now, which is organizations can absolutely fall prey into the same thing. Um, and what I mean is us as a church, I desperately want a building that we own. And we've seen, we know of other pastors and other churches who they have bigger, prettier churches. They're not in cafeterias where you're moving tables and looking at bad artwork on the wall. Instead, they have pretty buildings with pretty windows and things like that. And um, we've seen churches that put themselves in a position to not be able to continue to exist as a church 
because of poor financial spending and the desire was maybe out of an, an, an impression or I, I don't know why maybe they make purchasing decisions. Um, but I think that need for financial prudence and searching the heart for the reason for financial decision making is needed at its peak in the church. And when you spend money, the alternative is missions or the alternative is, you know, the poor and the needy or you name it. And no, nowhere is it more critical that we are cautious and search our hearts with our finances than as a church. Um, and, um, and I know for me, the area of temptation center is constantly check every week. Okay. How much have we saved up to how close are we to a building? Wonder what buildings cost these days. Um, and, um, and all of that. So I think there's also an organizational aspect, um, to this, not just the individual. I think everybody that wants to talk did talk, and I'm glad you did. Um, we're going to take at least uh, maybe a, a few weeks of breath, and uh, Nick is going to be uh, teaching from the Doctrines of God book, also written by uh, Paul David Tripp, uh, who is obviously one of our favorite authors. And uh, then month of July, I'll be back again, Lord willing. And uh, I hope that uh, if this is still a subject that you will love to hear what God has to say about because it's a, it was a very dynamic book for me and one that I felt was well worth sharing with you, and I'm glad for, I've had the opportunity to do that. So let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, help us to trust God and not doubt Him. Help us to stay within God's boundaries. Help us to not deny potential consequences. Help us to accept the consequences of our actions and not blame someone else. I ask us in the name of Jesus. Amen.